I suspect that you would have had to be living under a rock not to notice that there are plenty of reasons to be anxious. More now than maybe any time that I remember. That's kind of the effect that a pandemic has on you. With new variants and inflation and all these other things, there's plenty of reason to be anxious. And as Scott mentioned earlier, that's, uh, uh, that's always there. We always have various reasons uh, that we could be worried. But this sermon is not about that. There are plenty of other uh, verses in the Bible that will encourage you about more or less general anxiety, shall we say. I want to talk to you this morning about one specific uh, aspect of anxiety. I want to talk to you, like I do every week, about following Jesus, about living in His kingdom, because following Jesus produces a stress of its own. If I was going to try and convince you that you need to follow Jesus, I would probably be tempted to make some sort of sales pitch. And my sales pitch would go something like this. If you follow Jesus, your life will be wonderful and everything will be easier. Yeah, and I see none of you are buying that. And there's a good reason, because Jesus never made such a claim. Rather, He says things like, bless those who persecute you. He tells us family members will turn against one another. He pushes the issue that says, you can't serve both God and money. He somehow gives his stamp of blessing on being poor in spirit, even more so on mourning of all things. In other words, it should make you a little nervous to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus means taking him seriously. And taking him seriously means that you have a new kind of stress and new reasons to be anxious. And I think that Jesus knows that that's how it's going to go. And so he talks about it. He addresses it out the gate at, uh, in this Sermon on the Mount. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'll begin reading in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, soil, they neither sow nor reap 
nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more, or will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here Jesus talks to us about worry and anxiety. Why does he take it up here? Why is that his topic? Because I think he wants to assure you that you will not be the loser by throwing in with Jesus. He wants you to know for certain that joining in his kingdom will not cause you harm. If we're going to take him seriously, there is a new way of living in his kingdom. If we're going to take him seriously, there are new value systems, new ways of being in this world. And the rest of the world isn't built for that. And so how do you deal with the insecurity that comes from following a homeless, itinerant rabbi? Well, Jesus answers that question by giving us four commands. He, he says very clearly there are four things you're going to need to do in order to follow me. The first one here is not to worry. Don't be anxious. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on, is not, the li is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He starts off, and I want you to make sure that you notice this, with the word therefore. And this therefore points us back to what Jesus has already been saying about His kingdom. It points us back to what Jesus has already told us is important to Him. I mean, after all, this comes right on the heels of Him saying, you cannot serve two masters. While everyone else around you may serve the master of money or the master of mammon, no, not you. You've got to serve somebody else. And the world isn't built for serving somebody else. So yes, you might be anxious. He says, don't lay up treasure on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. Well, what good is treasure in heaven going to do me? 
We actually need the treasure on earth to get around and get by. So Jesus says, don't be anxious. He points us back even farther to fasting with people watching and trying to do things to please people and make them think that you're okay and you're somebody that uh, they should respect. Jesus said, no, you can be free from that and you don't need to worry. This, therefore, points us back to forgiveness. Forgiving those who've injured you and hurt you. And because of these things, yes, we are tempted to worry. If I forgive people, will they hurt me again? Will they take advantage of me again? If I... Don't seek their approval. Will they even notice? If I don't lay up treasure uh, on earth, will I have enough? And so in this text, the sources of anxiety are simple. So simple we almost don't even consider them. What will you eat? Or what will you drink? Or what will you wear? I mean, few of us can imagine a life where the, where, that has that immediate of concerns. Yet Jesus wants to address that first. The immediate concerns you may have, you know what? You don't have to worry about those. Because life is more. Life is more than this. There, life is more than what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. Life is more than just your experience of today. And Jesus says, don't be so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. Because life is not about your things, even those day-to-day things. You know, if you've not thought to be thankful for this yet, go ahead and be thankful for it right now. That you don't live hand-to-mouth like this, like Jesus is addressing with these people. What am I going to eat after the service is over? How wonderful that we have other problems, isn't it? Jesus is saying life in the kingdom doesn't preoccupy itself with these uh, trifles in these ordinary things. Jesus says, don't worry. I've got this. I'm the king of this kingdom, and we'll have enough for today. And so Jesus commands us not to be anxious. And, and, and the command not to be anxious is a significant thing. But yes, easier said than done. Thank you very much, Jesus. Thank you for telling me not to do what comes so naturally to me. But then Jesus gives us some help with that command. And the next command is, uh, is, is one that you probably haven't done today, I'm guessing. You, you maybe, maybe you got up, had a hint of worry, said, I'm not going to do that today. Good for you. 
But you probably haven't done this other one. And this other one is simply, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Go bird watching. Go bird watching. Because those birds, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? So Jesus says, yep, go bird watching. But this is not just a mere, you know, Audubon society exercise. What does Jesus want us to notice when we do look at the birds? I think he wants us to see a few things in particular. First, he wants us to know that they don't seem to have a care in the world. They just flip from one branch to another, finding some little tiny seed one after the other. Some pull a worm up in the rain. They don't sow, reap, or gather in the barns. Life is simple for them. I want you to notice that. Because God feeds them. They are thoughtless about planning for tomorrow, yet there will be food for them tomorrow. I think he wants you to notice their thoughtlessness. I think he wants you to notice when you're looking at the birds that he feeds them. And notice the the language there. The language is, your Father in heaven feeds them. He doesn't say, their Father in heaven feeds them. You have a relationship to God Almighty that even the creatures that He's made don't share. You are in the house. You are in the family. They are outside the house, in the yard. And He cares for them nonetheless. If he cares for those creatures in the yard and he's your father, he'll care for you. I think he wants you to notice the relative value that you have and the birds have. I think if God is going to calculate the value and say, I'm only, I don't have enough. Oh dear. Could you imagine God saying that? I don't have enough. What am I going to do? I'm going to have to feed those who have more value. And what Jesus is saying is, if God had to calculate that, if God had to scrimp, He wouldn't be feeding the birds. He'd feed you. Because you are of more value than them. Your Heavenly Father values you. And yet, He's got plenty to feed the birds. That's no problem. And so, don't be anxious. And then he says, don't be anxious for things that you can't change or control. Don't be anxious about things that you can't change or control. This is really helpful. Because he says, how many of you can add... Uh, a single hour to the span of his life. 
How many of you can add a single hour to the span of his life? It, that's a fine translation, but it's a, weird, uh, it's a weird sentence in the original language. It literally says, how many of you can add a cubit to your span? Which you have to figure out, what does that mean? I mean, how many of you, when you were kids, were wondering how tall you would be, right? Am I, am I going to be taller than my brother? Am I going to, you know, and it came time to measure on the door thing, and you're like, and then pretty soon there came a day, right, when those marks didn't go up anymore. It's like, ah. Oh. How many of you, by, by working at that, can change that? No, none of you. Yeah, I used to have those questions. I don't have those questions anymore. Now my question is probably more along the lines of the way they translated this. How many of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? I mean, I look ahead, I, I may not have that much longer. What am I going to do about that? <laughs> well, the simple answer is nothing. Right? Think about it. How many of you, by worrying, are going to outlive God's plan for your life? Maybe you're going to maybe you're going to exercise and eat your vitamins and somehow God says, "Nope, you're clocking out here," but you say, "Nope, I'm eating my vitamins extra. I'm going to clock out over here." That's probably not the way that's going to work. Nor is it going to work the opposite way, is it? That somehow you're going to die sooner <laughs> than uh, God wants you to because you go back for that second piece of pie. It seems to me that your relationship with God, not your relationship to food, is going to be the determining factor, right, on how this all plays out. You don't have control over those things. And so what good is it going to be to worry about them? And so what are you supposed to get from your bird watching? You're supposed to get that you are valuable to God. You're supposed to get that He loves you like a father. You're supposed to get that there's just no sense in worrying about those things over which you have no control. And so don't be anxious. Look at the birds. And then the, the third command here is consider the lilies, or literally, learn from the flowers. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith. The word translated in your Bibles, consider, literally means learn. Learn from the lilies. Go to school on the flowers. It's a, actually the Greek word that's related to the word that we translate disciple. So go outside. You can wait till it quits raining if you'd like. And learn from the flowers. Get discipled by your plants. They don't work or make clothes 
yet they are more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory. We don't know. We don't know how good Solomon looked. We don't know if there was an ancient GQ magazine and Solomon's pictures on the cover. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But we assume that since he spared no expense on anything else, that he would spare no expense really on his clothes. Yet even then, they don't stack up to the flowers. You can't replicate that. And so you just need to consider it. Stop and consider the flowers. We have... um, on my way home, when uh, I uh, drive down uh, the street about 100 yards from my house, there are some plants between the sidewalk and the curb that look like funny little cactuses. Or actually funny big cactuses. They're like big and pokey. That's how I know the cactuses. And all year long, nothing happens. In August, I drive by them and they're just like dry and shriveled. I drive by them in the spring and there's just nothing. But I noticed about uh, a week ago that there they are on the left-hand side and they have these beautiful white berries in December. And I'm thinking, you're a dumb plant. You don't even know when you're supposed to look good. But it doesn't matter because they look good anyway. That's his point. They don't work. They don't make their own clothes. They don't even run their own schedule. And they look better than Solomon. So pay attention. Go to school on that. Then he continues. He says, you know what? You know what we do with the grass? We throw it in the fire. Which means it's not worth very much. It doesn't last very long. God squanders this beauty on the grass and on the flowers. It's the same message that he just gave us, right? He squanders food on valueless birds. He squanders beauty on the flowers. He has so much of it, it doesn't even matter that he makes it beautiful, even though it's not going to last. And he says, oh, Jesus then just says, you know what? You will last. If if he squanders his, his beauty on what doesn't last, how much more will he care for you who have an eternal soul? Really, what are you worrying for? Well, yeah, then he just calls it out, doesn't he? Oh, you of little faith. And he puts his finger right on the issue for us. Because the issue is you get into the kingdom by believing, by trusting the king. And faith or trusting this king is the hallmark of those who are in the kingdom. You you get in the kingdom by faith and it marks your life forever. Well, oh you of little faith of you who have forgotten that? Who have forgotten who you're really dealing with when you're dealing with the king of the universe?
then he uh, reviews, right? And he says, he translates it, do uh, not be anxious. Again, like an imperative, though this one isn't. This is, this is more like, well, if you're still inclined to be anxious, don't be. If you didn't really go to school on the plants, if you really didn't notice the birds, if you really don't want to do what I say about not being anxious, let me give you one other thing here. The Gentiles, those outside the kingdom, those, so we're talking about Jesus creating a kingdom now, coming to inaugurate this kingdom that will last forever. And he said, here's the difference. Here's the difference between those inside and those on the outside. Are you ready for it? Outside, <laughs> they worry. Outside, oh dear, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? I don't even know. That's what life is like outside. I mean, it's as though Jesus here, I mean, I, get, I think he changed his voice to make fun of people there. I just, even, even Jesus has a little sarcasm in him, I think. Because they're just saying, oh dear, what will we do? And he's saying, you know what? That's what life's like outside. But life inside is different. Why would you stay outside when you could come inside and have life be different? Because your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. And there's the determining factor, isn't it? You have a heavenly Father. They don't have a heavenly Father. Outside, you do not have a heavenly Father. Someone who cares very deeply for you and is committed to providing all that you need. And so Jesus just wants you to know that. You have a Father in heaven who loves you. Will you live like it? Okay. Even if you're prone to be anxious, even if this gets, you know, gets you kind of wound up, you can pray about it, right? That's what the, that's what the Lord's Prayer here does. Look back at the Lord's Prayer. The language is the same. Remarkably the same. Our Father in heaven. You have a Father who loves you. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us enough for today. You don't have to have barns. You don't have to uh, have all this other stuff. You have a Father in heaven, and, and that will get you through. Pastor Travis reminded me this week that It's not the children's job to worry about the food. Think about it. It's the parents' job to worry about the food. That of all the things that happen in a family, of all of the jobs that can be delegated in a family, it is the parents who ought to be 
thinking about the food. But what if the child decided they wanted to do that? I mean, think about it. Okay, this never happens, right? You just got done with breakfast. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the little boy decides he's going to start worrying about the food. Well, what's for lunch? Well, we just finished breakfast. No, I know, I know, I know. But what's for lunch? Because I want to make sure that lunch is good. Well, I don't know what's for lunch yet. Okay, I'm still cleaning up from breakfast. We'll, we'll get to lunch. Don't worry. Well, well I, I am worried. I don't, I don't know if there's going to be lunch. What, what are we going to do for lunch? I mean, what's a parent going to do? Well, what if a parent just said, you know what? Not your job to worry about lunch. I've got lunch. Well, you say that every day. But I still want to worry about lunch. Could I just, could I just have some food to take up to my room? Maybe a box of cereal or a potato or something. Could I, could I do that? You don't need to take the cereal up to your room. You don't need to carry around a potato. Okay. Just a minute. Lunch is coming. Let me just show you. And you walk over to the pantry, right? And you open the pantry door, and there, ceiling to floor, is full of stuff for lunch. Look, all of that. Who do you think that's for? It's for you. Oh, but, but that's not all. That's not all. Just a minute. Let's walk over here to the, the refrigerator. Look at that. There's some good stuff in here. And we've even got to use that before it gets too old, so we're going we're gonna to eat it for lunch. You don't need to take stuff up to your room because I've got lunch taken care of. If after that, right, the little boy said, but... Couldn't I still take a potato up from room just in case? What would you think? It would be really, really clear, wouldn't it? That a child doesn't trust a parent. That there is some kind of serious breakdown here. And so, that's what Jesus is telling you. You have a Father in heaven who loves you you don't need to worry about it. And so if you go to school on the flowers, that'll become evident to you. If you look at the birds, you'll know. You have a Father in heaven that they don't have and He still cares for them. How much more will He care for you whom He loves? So don't be anxious. Then that brings us to the fourth command here. The fourth thing that we must do in order not to worry. Verse 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Clearly, all these things are already defined. This is not, this is not for you to say that, oh, yes, I'm going to look after the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and I'm going to win the lottery. Or I'm going to get, all, I'm going to get anything I want. You, you don't, no, you're going to have enough for today for food and drink and clothing and a deep breath, right? And so you won't need to be anxious. If those outside seek temporal things, if they serve mammon in order to try and have enough to eat and drink and enough to wear, those inside the kingdom seek first the kingdom interests in the interests of righteousness. Which again, this is something Jesus has been saying all along. Jesus has been saying this all along and the, the tension has been building and now he's got to say, okay, calm down. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You know what? If you pursue righteousness, it's going to work out okay. So it probably just is worth stopping to ask the question, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Does it merely mean that you come to church whenever the doors are open? And if you can't do that, that you watch online? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of heaven? I, I think very simply this. It means that you have the interests of the kingdom of heaven at heart with every decision you make. If you're thinking about going to school, if you're thinking about buying a house, if you're thinking about getting married, if you're thinking about retiring, if you're thinking about giving, if you're thinking about not giving, you have the kingdom of heaven in mind. And, and the money things are the easiest, and I think that's why God, uh, Jesus follows this up. Uh, he follows the cancer of God in mammon conversation with don't worry because money makes it clear you might have kingdom priorities when you give but there might be a lot more might be that you have kingdom priorities when you show hospitality to your neighbor to somebody else in the church it might mean that you find yourself able to work less so that you can love other people more. There are a lot of things that you could do that would reflect the interests of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, how would it change your activities on the weekend if you have the kingdom of heaven at heart on the weekends? What does that look like? How does it change the way that you watch football or play golf or work in your garden? I think very simply, you ask the question every single time, what is the interest of Jesus in my doing this thing? What would interest Jesus about this? And as you figure that out, then you'll figure out how to seek first the kingdom of heaven. I mean, one quick thing, as soon as you start talking about watching football or playing golf or working in your garden, the first thing that comes to mind is, 
other people. One of the things that you would find that Jesus was very interested in were other people. And so, to have the kingdom and his righteousness in mind most likely involves people much of the time. What would it look like for you to seek his righteousness? I think it means that you give consideration to what the world will be like when it's right. What would happen in our world if Jesus was reigning? Well, it would be right. And then what? Someone challenged me the other day to pursue righteousness or to think about the way the world would be when it's right with respect to houselessness. What could I do? What could we do to help people who are homeless? What should I do about that? What could I do for those people who don't have the advantages that I have? How can I care for people who have a different cultural or ethnic background? Basically, if Jesus were in my shoes, what would he be caring about? And you ask that question and then you do it. Because that's what it would mean to seek first. Not just philosophically contemplate. It's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, seek it. Seek the priorities of the kingdom. Seek his righteousness. And if you do that, you will have all you need for today. You will have all you need for today. Think about that. Will you just take a breath? Let's do that. One, two, three. <sighs> yes. You have a Father in heaven who loves you. And you will have all that you need for today. Oh, but what about tomorrow? That's not fair, is it? What about tomorrow? Sort of cheating to say, you'll have everything you need today, right? Well, guess what? Jesus addresses that too. Verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What are the worries of tomorrow? Frankly, the worries of tomorrow are the worries that people have when they have enough for today. The worries of tomorrow are all of the things that you and I normally worry about. Food and drink and clothes are today's concern Tomorrow stands in here in verse 34 for all of those other things. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. So Jesus is simply saying, don't worry about wayward children or aging parents or a job search or retirement or a high-risk pregnancy or cancer diagnosis or lawsuits or Delta variant, or an Omicron variant, or government conspiracy, or big pharma conspiracy, or vaccines, or masks, or isolation, or depression, or schools, or buying a home, or Russia invading Ukraine, or inflation. And I'm just getting started. 
Because so many of us are looking for the next thing that we can worry about. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Your Father in heaven loves you. That's what you're supposed to get out of this. That you, if you belong to Jesus as part of His kingdom, you have a Father in heaven who loves you. And the Scripture says He loves you so much He gave you His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life in the kingdom. To include you in the kingdom, your Father in heaven gave you His only Son. Which is a clear indication, just like what you're supposed to learn when you see the birds, that you are valuable to God. I think Jesus wants us to be reminded here that we will not be losers for following hard after Jesus. If you throw all in with Jesus, you will be fine. I think Jesus wants to remind you not to worry about what you can't control. And that faith is what got you into the kingdom and faith is the hallmark of those who remain in the kingdom. Kingdom people trust their heavenly Father who loves them. Non-kingdom people serve another master and they don't have a Father in heaven who loves them. And so may God help us not to worry about today, or about tomorrow, but rather to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we serve the King of Kings. And He will take care of you. And we have a Father in heaven. And He loves us and will take care of us. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, first of all, would you forgive us for not trusting you, for insisting that somehow we squirrel away things, that we uh, fidget about what might happen. God, will you help us to get about kingdom business and live as though your righteousness really mattered and not to worry about the trifles of this world. God, we can't do that without you. And so, when we're inclined to be people of little faith, would you help our faith to grow? Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.